So on the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he was brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And the Gospel of Matthew says that the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. And eventually the high priest said to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You've said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, he was referring to a well-known prophecy from the book of Daniel, given hundreds of years earlier. Daniel had a vision of different beasts that represented different empires, worldly empires. And these beasts were terrifying and powerful, and they were boasting and prideful. But then Daniel saw a vision of God, who he calls the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is sitting on a throne above all of these empires. And then he, he said he saw someone who looked like a son of man. In other words, somebody who looked like a human being. Coming with the clouds of heaven, approaching the Ancient of Days, approaching God and being led into God's presence. And the Ancient of Days then gave this one who is like a son of man authority, glory, and sovereign power. And Daniel, sa Daniel said, All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus says to the high priest, From now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand, of the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's saying from now on, that prophecy from Daniel is going to be fulfilled. From now on, I am that one, like a son of man, who looks like a son of man, who is going to be give, given all dominion, all power, all authority, all glory. And I am going to be the king of an everlasting kingdom, a, king that will, a kingdom that will outlast every worldly empire. And you're going to see that. You're going to see me coming into my kingdom from now on. Of course, that was very shocking to the high priest. The high priest tore his clothes. He said that was blasphemy because this one who is like a son of man in the prophecy receives worship, right? He is honored as God. Now, when you think about what was about to happen to Jesus, this was kind of a strange thing for him to say. Right? Because in a little while, as we just read, soldiers are going to mock him by putting a purple robe on him. And they're going to jam a crown of thorns into his head. And they're going to put a staff in his hand and pretend to revere him and bow down to him. And then he's going to be lifted up on a cross with a sign over him that says, King of the Jews. And Jesus knows that all of this is about to happen to him. And yet he says, from now on you will see me coming into my kingdom. Why? Well, Jesus is saying, what you're about to see might look like my humiliation, but it is actually my exaltation. It's actually my coronation. It's actually me coming into my kingdom. The mock coronation that you're giving me is, from the perspective of heaven, a real coronation. Now, every Good Friday, we remember the cross, and we try to comprehend its meaning. 
which is a difficult thing to do because the cross, Jesus on the cross, is the most meaningful and significant event in all of history. There are so many different angles that you can look at it from, so much meaning and significance that you can mine out of this, this moment. But one thing that Jesus wants us to understand is that this horrible moment is him becoming king. It is the moment when an everlasting kingdom is established. And this is a kingdom that will outlive every worldly empire. No matter how proud and boastful those empires are. No matter how big their militaries or their nuclear arsenals. No matter how large their gross domestic product no matter how advanced their technology or brilliant their scientists, the kingdom that Jesus is establishing by dying on a cross will overcome all of those empires, present and future. The king who is being coronated with a crown of thorns will outlive and ultimately reign over every of these other authorities. Wow. And Jesus hints at this in the Gospel of John, too. In the last days before his crucifixion, Jesus says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, meaning the devil, will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now that word lifted up there is the same word for exalted, glorified, crowned. So Jesus is saying that in that moment when he is lifted up on the cross, he is actually being exalted. He's being crowned. This is the, the moment when his glory is most on display. So in that moment when it looks like he is being judged, it's actually the world that's being judged. And in that moment where it looks like he's being driven out of the world, the devil is actually being driven out of the world. So how can that be? How does that make any sense at all? Well, it only makes sense if we understand that God's ways, God's perspective, is different from natural human perspective. When the world thinks of a person being exalted and glorious, they tend to think of somebody with great wealth or great talent, great athleticism, great physical beauty, great physical strength, right? But Christ reveals that God has a very different idea of what real glory looks like. From God's perspective, what is truly glorious is great love. Love so great that it extends even to one's enemies. Love so great that it's willing to suffer for the sake of others. Love so great that it chooses forgiveness rather than vengeance. When that kind of love is on display, that is true glory. Okay, Even if the world says, oh, that's shameful, that's embarrassing, that's weak, God says, no, that's glorious. That is worthy of the highest honor. When that kind of love is demonstrated, the world is judged and the devil is driven out. Now, why is that? How should we understand that? Well, the world is not judged on Good Friday in the way that we usually think about judgment. Um, typically, when we think about judgment, we imagine a judge in the courtroom rendering a sentence, a punishment, right? But Jesus didn't go up on the cross and say, 
all right, I've evaluated the evidence, and you're all condemned. Right? It's not what he did. In fact, he didn't say, I condemn all of you. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So on Good Friday, Jesus doesn't judge the world like a judge in a courtroom, giving a sentence. That's not the only way that judgment works. To judge something, to discern something right, is to identify the truth about it. And on Good Friday, Jesus exposes the truth about the world. He exposes how broken and messed up it is. He exposes the world's unrighteousness by being perfect righteousness. And the unrighteousness of the world is exposed through that contrast. You know, it's kind of like the way a mediocre basketball player might feel judged as mediocre just by the presence of an excellent basketball player. Or an impatient person might feel judged as impatient just by being in the presence of someone who's extraordinarily patient. Right? The contrast exposes the truth. The contrast renders a judgment. It exposes what is real. And on Good Friday, the truth about the world is exposed. And the truth is this. When God in the flesh came into the world, the world conspired to kill him. When the world encounters a truly righteous man, the kind of man who prays forgiveness even for his own torturers, it sees him as a threat who must be eliminated. This shows how twisted and fallen humanity is, right? Good Friday exposes our fear of the light and our attraction to the darkness. It shows how our pride and our greed and our envy and lust for power can lead to terrible cruelty. And it, it shows how the systems of the world, political systems, religious systems, that are supposed to uphold righteousness, can actually end up sacrificing the innocent and doing great evil. The Greek philosopher Plato, he lived about 400 years before Christ. And he was already suspicious that the world was as messed up as Good Friday revealed. In his famous book, The Republic, he imagined what would happen if a perfectly righteous man were to come into the world. And he concluded that if someone perfectly righteous came into the world, he would be accused of being unrighteous. And if he remained righteous, he would eventually, quote, be scourged, tortured, bound, his eyes burnt out, and at last impaled or crucified. So Good Friday judged Plato to be correct about that, except for maybe the eyes part, but close enough. Plato suspected what Jesus confirmed about the world. So what about what Jesus says about the devil being driven out? What does Jesus' death on the cross have to do with that? Well, this is not a question with only one legitimate answer, but I'd like to suggest one way of thinking about this. It might help to remember that the proper name that the devil is sometimes given in Scripture, Satan, actually means the accuser. The Satan, the accuser. So the spirit of the devil is the opposite of forgiveness. 
When we listen to the spirit of the accuser, the opposite of forgiveness, we are filled with fear and insecurity. Because deep down, we think that we are worthless and hopeless. And when the spirit starts to infect our attitude towards others, we're always looking for someone to blame, for someone to accuse, for someone to pin the responsibility for everything that's wrong with our lives and with the world on. So the spirit of the devil leads us often to accuse the innocent. And it also convinces us to never, ever forgive those who are actually guilty. And that spirit, the more that it thrives, leads to anger, fear, retribution, vengeance, violence. But on Good Friday, Jesus refuses to give in to the devil's influence. As those around him hurl accusations, he does not believe their lies. He's secure in who he is and who he belongs to. And he does not return evil for evil. He chooses forgiveness rather than revenge. And as God in the flesh, he bears our sin in his body. He absorbs it. He feels the full weight of it. And so the devil is stripped of his accusing power. And as the Apostle Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Through the cross, we see that God really is for us. We see the extent that he's willing to go to free us from the powers of sin and death. And so the cross drives out the devil. It silences the accuser. And then finally, why did Jesus say when he is lifted up on the cross that he will draw all people to himself? Well, Jesus is telling us something there about how his kingdom is going to grow, how he's going to build it. His kingdom, which will outlast all of those prideful worldly empires, his kingdom is not going to draw its citizens by military campaigns. It's not going to happen by force or coercion. It's not going to happen through satanic accusations. But it will happen through the loving sacrifice of its king. His love displayed. That will draw all people, meaning Jews, Gentiles, people from every nation, tribe, and language, rich and poor, slave and free. It will draw them all, that loving sacrifice, into his kingdom of peace. And that's a kingdom of peace that is not held together by a constitution or a defense budget or border walls, but by the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of its citizens. Now, we might have a hard time believing that that kingdom will really outlast every worldly empire, but so far it has. The Roman Empire, which seemed so powerful, it's gone now, but Christ's church remains. Soviet Union, that's gone. Christ's church remains. And Christ's church will remain until Jesus returns, and then his kingdom is fully revealed. So this Good Friday, I want to encourage you to know this. Jesus is the true king of the world. He has been crowned. He was crowned on the cross on Good Friday. 
And you have been invited into his kingdom. The king himself has invited you. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, tonight don't listen to the accuser's voice that tells you that you are worthless, that you are hopeless, that you are beyond love. Look at the cross. See God in the flesh suffering for you. And hear him praying, Lord, forgive them. And know that is a prayer for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for starting a new kingdom that day that you died on the cross. And we thank you for exposing the brokenness of the world and showing us what real righteousness looks like. We thank you for driving out the devil through your sacrificial love. May he be fully driven out from our own hearts and minds and from the entire world. And we thank you for bearing our sin in your body, for enduring the consequences of our sin. We recognize our guilt, Lord. We confess it. We receive the forgiveness that you've made available to us. We thank you and praise you for it. Help us to live here and now like citizens of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.